wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Thanks for listening and welcome to Bleeding Daylight. I'd love to connect with you on social media, so search for Bleeding Daylight on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. It's a great episode this time with a guest who's an author, blogger and podcaster. As she tells her own story, I'm sure you'll find a real connection and you'll learn important life lessons. Sarah Geringer has been filling diaries since the age of 11, and it was only a handful of years later at the age of 16 that she realised that her passion for writing was more than just a personal pastime. While raising a family, she put her calling of writing on the back burner for some years. She's now a published author, podcaster, blogger and speaker. It's an honour to have her join me on Bleeding Daylight today. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. You've said that writing has been important in your healing process and has been the spark to help other women struggling with similar issues to those you've battled. What have been a couple of the struggles that you've worked to heal? Oh, great question. That could take up our whole time, but I'll just touch on a few of them. I have struggled with depression, different seasons of my life, suicidal depression in high school, uh, suicidal ideation. It hasn't been as dark since then. God has helped me overcome in those areas. He's also helped me overcome the problem of codependency, also of perfectionism. I am wired naturally as an Enneagram 1 and Enneagram 1s deal with a tough inner critic and we are prone toward perfectionism, but God has redeemed me from that struggle. He's also delivered me from toxic relationships, and I think he's helped me overcome a concept of being very hard on myself. So all of those things really run through most of the stories that I tell. And so being the thoughtful person that you are, I'm sure that you've gone back to say, where have these traits come from? And so in your mind, what have you tracked it back to? What, What are the things that have been the contributing factors to these things going on in your mind? When you start to take personality tests of any kind, Uh, you can start to gain self-awareness of how God created you. And each of us have strengths and weaknesses attached to the kind of personalities that we have. So like I said, I am an Enneagram one, but I have a nine wing. And I've said several times before that I feel like I'm half Martha and half Mary. If you're familiar with that story in Luke when Martha is busy getting the house ready for Jesus and his disciples and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. One side of me is Martha and the other side is Mary because Mary is my nine wing, the peacemaker, the contemplative, the take things easy, not too worried about things. And then the one side of me is the Martha who works really hard to get things done and is very 
organized, probably a natural leader, and very responsible. I really feel like God has uniquely created me that way, although I didn't accept that probably until I was an adult. Uh, I think a lot of us creative people, when we're young especially, we feel like we don't fit in. We feel like people don't understand us. Maybe we don't even understand ourselves. Why can't we just be part of the crowd? But I feel like now, looking back, that God was shaping me and equipping me in my personality and also my strengths to be the kind of person that I am now, even though not everyone could understand or appreciate that back then, nor can they now. But I have to live the kind of life that God has called me to live, uh, just like Jesus was very confident of his calling and following his Father's will. I think that God has equipped me to do more of that in faith than when I was younger. And I'm really glad that he set me free of some of that bondage of those things that I mentioned before so that I I am able to do this to help and encourage and inspire other people now. And this gives us a little bit of a window into why some people who are brought up in very similar circumstances will react very differently. And I know that for some people, they see others that have been through much worse and they then start to minimize what they've been through, not realizing that they will be affected by some of these things much more because they're wired differently. There's a different personality. Does that come into play a lot for some of those areas? I think that we are living in a golden age of uh, gaining self-awareness. We have all these tools at our fingertips. I didn't have in the early 90s when I was a teenager. Uh, so I think that if we avail ourselves to these online tests that we can take, some of these excellent books that we can read about personality, we can gain awareness about who God created us to be how we fit in this world, what our calling is, what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are. And then also a wonderful benefit to doing that is gaining awareness of the people around us. So when I was reading one of the books that is talked about a lot is The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron. I gained awareness about myself, which was wonderful and healing and good. But it also gave me awareness of other people around me, my loved ones, and even, honestly, the tribe of people that I try to minister to in my writing and speaking, that different personalities are just different. They're not worse than others. Uh, my personality is not better than someone else. We need to learn to have compassion for each other and try to understand and be curious about each other. Because when we understand that maybe they're just acting out of the weak side of their personality, or maybe they're just in a stress mode and that's why they're responding the way they are. I think that has helped me make better sense, especially of my marriage and my relationship with my three children. It has made me a much more patient, forgiving, and understanding person than I was 
before I went through that process of taking those tests and reading those books and then applying what I had learned. When you go back to some of those diaries that you started keeping at age 11, it must be interesting to see that development over time, but also to see some of those dark moments as you've written them down. What are some of the things that really spring out to you when you look back at at some of those very early diary writings? Most of us, if we go back to our diaries, we're going to see silly things in there, like what we were fighting about, girl drama, and who we had crushes on and those kind of things. And I would write down what I got for Christmas. And so in those ways, it was a normal teenage girl thing. But in other ways, uh, if I ever talked about my feelings, how I felt when I had to shift between my mom and dad's house, or how I felt when my dad was fighting with his wife, uh, those kind of things, that's kind of what I'm looking for when I go back and read those now. What was I thinking What was I feeling in those times and why was it affecting me? In what ways was it affecting me? And actually, one thing that helped me when I was going through this process of self-discovery and looking at the past to try to have answers for right now, I went back to uh, fifth grade, which is around when I started keeping those journals, and I was bullying a girl. And I realized while I was reading that that was a time when my mom was traveling a lot and that was my primary home. So when she was gone, I didn't feel safe and secure and I'm a security seeker by nature. And so that negative energy had to go somewhere. And unfortunately I directed it toward another girl in my class who almost left our school because of the way I was treating her I never put those pieces together until I took the time in my late 30s to read those journals and look back and say, you know what, it wasn't really because I wanted to be mean to her. And in fact, we ended up being friends after that, all through high school. (laughs) And she would give me rides home from school because I couldn't drive yet. We hung out together and we had a good time. So obviously it wasn't because I just couldn't stand her. It was because I had to process those negative emotions. And as an 11 year old or so, I couldn't do that. I wasn't equipped to do that, but I had my journal and that's where I was writing things, Uh, things that I'm ashamed to read now because it's really ugly, but it's, it's telling me how hurt I was, how afraid I was, how overwhelmed I was by the negative feelings I was experiencing. And I didn't feel safe telling those to my mom, who was really the correct recipient of those kind of feelings. But like most children, we don't do that because it's not safe to attack a parent because what's going to happen if they turn on you? Where are you going to get your love from? So That's what I learned. There were many other incidents throughout my teenage years and into my college years that I can look back now and say, 
wow, that's why I was acting the way I was, or that's why I was upset about that thing. And I couldn't figure it out at the moment, but now I can see it was because of all this pain and trauma in my extended family that had never been properly handled. I spent five years in therapy. So he really helped me take all those pieces apart, lay them out, look at them, and then put them back together in an organized fashion that made sense to me as an adult that couldn't happen when I was a, when I was a child or even when I was a teenager or a young woman. I needed a professional to walk alongside me and show me which pieces were worth picking up and putting back together and which ones were better off discarded. You mentioned that you discovered that you were a bully and quite a a nasty bully at that time, which must be difficult for you. But when we look through our own lives, we notice that the, the biggest bullies are generally not other people or even the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but we bully ourselves with our thought life. And I know that you've written about this, about the way that we actually talk to ourselves and, and understand who we are within our own mind. In my books, I talk about we have three enemies in our thought lives. And our first one is ourselves, because we tell ourselves tons of lies all the time. And studies show that we have up to 60,000 thoughts a day, and 80% of those are negative, and 95% of those are recycled from the day before. So we keep ourselves in this perpetual state of negativity unless we take control of our thought lives, and I talk about doing that through Christian meditation. One enemy is ourselves. Another enemy, of course, is Satan, who wants to defeat us before we even take an action, because then his work is really done. uh, We're doing the rest of it on his behalf. So he's not even having to tempt us any further if he can win the war in our thought lives. And so we have to learn how to fight back with the truth of scripture, which is what Jesus did when he was tempted. And then the third enemy that many of us face is the lies that other people spoke over us. So, like I said, when I was a bully, speaking lies over that girl. So, there have been people that bullied me. There have been family members who were speaking lies over me. Maybe it's a teacher or a coach or another adult, and you're still hearing that voice play in your mind when you feel ashamed or when you feel like you failed. You're going all the way back to second grade or fourth grade, or where, whenever that trauma occurred, because you're stuck in that pattern, in that little neural pathway that's in your mind. What I talk about, based on my own experience of healing, is stopping that track of thought, stopping that neural pathway, and implanting a truth from God's word to fight back in that moment so that you're replacing the lies with the timeless and unchanging truth, which is God's word. And we also know that his word is living and active. So when David wrote a psalm thousands of years ago, 
it's still alive and powerful and active today because the Holy Spirit delivers that word to us, enlightens us to it, and helps us understand it and apply it. So that's why it's living and powerful and active because the Holy Spirit is in the word and comes to us through the word and Jesus made all that possible. So it's really an adventure to read God's word, interact with it, apply it, meditate on it, and then use it to fight back in these spiritual battles that we face. And if we do that, we can really start overcoming in these problem areas that have affected us, most of us since childhood. I find it interesting that as you outline those three enemies that we have that are that are telling us lies, firstly, ourselves, secondly, the great accuser himself, Satan, and thirdly, the things that other people speak over us, the, the lies that others tell, for those second two, for Satan and for those others, really, they become our own narrative too. And so that feeds into that first one again and again, because we very quickly start to believe what Satan says about us and what others say about us, don't we? Yes, absolutely. I was actually, this is really personal, Rodney. I hope you don't mind me going here. There's a certain body part of mine that's not, it's it's not a secret body part or anything, but it's one that I keep covered at all times because I've told myself that it's, you know, too much, right? But really, as I've thought about that and thought about that, I've thought about remarks that others made in my past that were to that effect. And so that's probably why I keep it covered up, even though what I'm telling myself most of the time is that I think I'm too much in that area. But really, it's also because some primary people in my life said the same thing. And so I just internalize that belief myself when, quite frankly, that's not anything God ever spoke over me. Because he tells us in Psalm 139 that we are beautifully, wonderfully, exquisitely made, every single part and piece of us. So I know that's the truth that God wants me to speak over myself, not continue in that lie that I've believed others when they've told me that and then incorporated into my own thinking. How long is it going to take us? to start shifting our thinking around certain things within our lives. Because if we've had an entire lifetime up until now to rehearse those lies, to rehearse that bad thinking within our mind, how long is it going to take us when we start to, to meditate on God's word and we start to to follow the, the truth that we see presented in scripture for that to start taking effect and start to inform the way we speak to ourselves? Well, that's a great question. You know, our God can do anything he wants. If he wants it to be a once and done thing, he can. But I think most of the time, it's a process. It's a process of learning and growing with him. And I'll just tell you what happened with me. In 2003, I wanted to read through the entire Bible for the first time ever. Even though I had been a lifelong Christian, I had even graduated from a Christian college I had never read the whole Bible front to back, and I wanted to do that. And so I purchased a one-year Bible, 
the edition that I had purchased had one verse in bold. And I just took that as a cue. That's what I should focus on. So this is January of 2003, and I'm starting in Genesis and the book of Matthew. That's how it always starts every year in, in the one-year Bible. And I was very familiar with these stories, very, very familiar. Stories of Adam and Eve and Noah and Moses and and then the stories of Jesus um, starting his ministry. These were not new concepts to me. However, it was the first time in my life that I had sat down just with my Bible and the Holy Spirit guiding and leading me and bringing certain verses to mind. And so what happened is I came to the Bible knowing very well that this is the truth, truth with a capital T. I was not arguing with it. And I realized as I was focusing on this one verse in bold every day, that if that's the truth, then what's going on inside of me 99% of the time is lies. Because what I'm telling myself, what I'm listening to myself is not matching up with what I'm seeing and reading in scripture. And it started bothering me within like day five of doing this. And it was because the Holy Spirit was at work. It took me only about three weeks. It was still January when I started realizing, wow, I am believing so many lies, lies that I've told myself, lies that Satan is tempting me to believe, lies that others have spoken to me. I want to be free from these lies. And so it gave me a hunger and a desire to keep digging into God's word. And I was excited every morning to start reading, thinking, well, what is God going to tell me today? What kind of lie is he going to tear down today? What kind of truth is he going to speak over me? And the overriding truth that I was hearing for the first time from the Lord, even though I had heard it for 25 years as a Christian, was that he loved me, that he loved me for me, and he would have done it all just for me. He did it for the whole world, but it was becoming a very personal experience for me. And like I said, that only took about three weeks before I started realizing there's a whole other way of approaching life than what I've been doing before. And it's because God loves me and he wants something better for me. It was almost like sitting in a dark place, uncovering those truths just one-on-one -on -one with God so that I could step in to the role I was really born to play later when God's timing was right, because he needed to heal me in that time of obscurity that wasn't open to public view, so that I would be able to deliver the messages that he had designed for me to share from a healed and whole and healthy place. And so now I know that God was using that time to reset my thoughts so that I would not be a depressed, codependent, perfectionistic, 
uh, bound to toxic relationships kind of mom for my kids. He wanted to set me free so that he could change the next generation and break the generational curses in my family on both sides so that I could start to become a mom who would model what true Christian living should look like to her kids. And I know that was God's plan. I had no idea in 2003, that's what I was setting upon, but God had a plan all that time. And really it amounted to sitting down at my kitchen table for maybe 10 minutes a day and reading his word every morning at breakfast. That's all it took. And within, like I said, less than 30 days, I knew a difference. We live in an age where we talk about people speaking their own truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. And yet here we are, we're we're talking about an instance where you had to go to a single source of truth to know what was real, to measure that up against what your mind was telling you was the truth. How important is it that we continue to rely back on that single source of truth being God's word? Well, I keep hearing comparisons uh, to Daniel in in this generation for Christians. And Daniel was in a completely secular society, very sophisticated culture. I'm an American, and so it does feel like Babylon a lot of times. Um, my own children who are teenagers have said, mom, I really wish I had grown up 20 years ago because they hate the kind of cultural shift that even they have seen in their short lives. And I, I empathize with them, but I tell them, you know, the Lord chose you to be born for such a time as this. And we are meant to shine our light into this culture that's getting darker and darker by the day, that's getting further and further away from God, more and more pluralistic, more and more relativistic. And we've got to have a strong and firm anchor or we're going to lose our way as well. I was just at a craft fair this weekend and, you know, I'm in the sphere of Christian meditation, right? Well, the world has a whole different look at what meditation is. And so I'm, I'm at this booth and I actually purchased some things from this uh, sweet gal, but she had these crystals there and she had a sign that said, these are proven to release or to collect negative energy from the air around you, whether it's from your cell phone or from a bad karma or whatever. Right. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, this is what the world says. The world says that there's a solution for everything. You just pick what feels right for you. So that felt right probably for her and probably for a lot of people. They think there's a power in a crystal, but that's just, it's the exact same thing that we see in Daniel's day when people were bowing down to golden statues or when Isaiah writes about how a man will cut down a tree and use part of it to make a fire in his home to warm him and his family and part of it to cook his food and then carves the rest of it and puts it into an idol that he worships and prays to for rain 
and favor and how ridiculous that is. And we can read things like that in the Old Testament and say, oh, well, that we don't relate to that. But really, that's what a smartphone is to us. That might It might be a crystal to somebody else. It might be family. It could be a really good thing that we're worshiping and we're putting ahead of God. If we focus on following the Bible as our path for life, my life verse is Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a light to my path. It's it's guiding me one step at a time. And I'm just so grateful that we have uh, God's word that has been preserved for us over the centuries. And it's, it's passed down to us so that we can keep passing it forward. But if we're not immersing ourselves in it, we're not like Daniel did, praying faithfully every day, submitting himself to God, even in the middle of a pagan culture that he was in. If we're not being intentional about our faith, it's only going to take one generation for that faith to fade away. And we know that the Holy Spirit is powerful and that God's plan is sovereign, but we've got to do our part in spreading God's kingdom and and showing God's kingdom to the world. And how can we really do that if we don't even know who God is? And the way that we discover that is by reading his word and doing that a little bit at a time every single day. The concept of meditation is actually in the Bible about 20 times, depending on the translation you use. So the two Hebrew words for meditations are haha and siak, and they both mean repetition. They use it um, a little bit differently, but mostly uh, in the book of Psalms is the time that we see those words show up the most. And it's about meditating on God's precepts, on his laws, on his character, on his promises, on his faithfulness. So when we read the Bible, we need to also be focusing on it over and over, mulling on it slowly, thinking about it deeply because we're making it part of ourselves. We're inviting it into our memory, into our thought lives, if we can do that, and it becomes part of us. Most of what I've been saying, uh, I'm not looking at a Bible while we're having this interview, Rodney. It's just because I've read through the Bible now 18 times. And so these stories are just part of my thinking. They just come to the surface because I've taken the time to put them there. Just like the Bible tells us to hide God's word in our heart and mind, because then we can use it. We can use it to bless and encourage each other. We can use it to fight back in our spiritual battles And we don't have to look it up. We don't have to have a phone with us or a paper Bible with us. It's hidden in our hearts and minds. And the Holy Spirit draws it out at the right moment of time. You've been talking about ways in which we can challenge the lies that we tell ourselves and that others tell us about us. And we can do a great deal in coming to know who we are in Christ when we do that. 
I'm wondering, though, if we're still in a difficult situation, for instance, if we're still in toxic relationships, all the work that we do for ourselves is great, but how do we then deal with those around us that are building toxicity into our lives? Yeah, especially when it comes to relationships, we need to take it beyond our kitchen table. You know, we need that time of working it out with God. And I think that a lot of our preparation process is praying based on what we read in the Bible. So Bible has all kinds of examples of toxic relationships and what to do and what not to do. In fact, the book of Genesis really has has myriad examples for you to uh, look at there. But then after you think about it with God and pray about it, you've got to act it out. So in my own healing process, you know, it started really with just me and God and my Bible. But around the same time, about a year later, I became a mother and I joined a small group at my church and we did Bible studies together. And those women in that group helped me heal because I was hearing about their experiences with God, their experiences with their family, their experiences of healing. And so it was in community that my healing process grew exponentially as compared to just sitting with God in my Bible at home. As important and essential as that was, God intended for me to receive further healing in the body of Christ, which is the church. And after a few years of doing that, kind of comparing my stories in a healthy way, realizing that the kind of things I was dealing with in my family were much at a different and higher level than what other people had to deal with, I realized it would probably make sense for me to go talk to a professional about them. So then I added on the counseling to my small group meetings, and I was still reading my one-year Bible every day. So all of those things work together to help me overcome in those toxic relationships. And I've also said that the book Boundaries has completely changed my life for the better. Uh, I started reading that in 2007. Everything changed after I read that book. And I read over 100 books a year. So I feel like that's pretty high praise that of all the books I've ever read, the thousands and thousands over the years, that's my number one pick for a book that has changed my life. And I'm glad that I had that book because I could discuss those concepts with my counselor. I could talk about them with my friends and my small group. And the Bible tells us that there is wisdom among other counselors and the boundaries book, which is based on biblical principles also says that we have to have a support group before we go uh, setting boundaries with people because very likely we're going to have pushback and we're going to need to go 
to a support group who's going to lift us up and encourage us and keep us on track and say, no, 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 don't fall back into your patterns. We've got your back. You stand strong and we're standing with you. Tell me about some of your books, because you've written quite a number of books now. You've written books, especially for teens, and I guess you're looking back to those early years for yourself and thinking, if only I'd had this help back then. But but tell me about your books and the sort of responses that you've had uh, from the books that you've written. Okay, I love talking about this. Well, I'm going to start with my traditionally published books first. So my first traditionally published book was called Transforming Your Thought Life, Christian Meditation and Focus. And it talks about 17 different thought life problem areas that we experience. It talks about verses that we can use to address the problem, but also pursue the virtue instead. Like if you're facing anxiety, you can focus on verses that are written about anxiety in the Bible, but you can also focus on verses about pursuing peace. And I have gotten a great response from people who have said, yes, I've been familiar with the Bible, but I never thought about using certain verses to fight back in certain areas when I'm triggered or when I'm tempted in this area. My second book is the Transforming Your Thought Life for Teens, Renew Your Mind with God. So it is the teen version of that original book, but I also shortened the chapters and I changed the stories because not all of them were relevant for teens. And I added four more chapters because teens face different issues than we do as adults. And then also I have a book coming out next year and it's going to be talking about prayer and how we can connect with God through nature walks. And this is what I did um, in 2019 and 2020 because I got a new puppy and he needed to be walked every day, several times a day. And even though I've lived here in the country, uh, in Missouri, I hadn't really walked these gravel roads before, before my dog made me go out there and do it. And I noticed all these things in nature that were metaphors for praying, mostly for other people. It really helped me in the pandemic to go outside and connect with nature, which had not changed since it was created, and go and pour my heart out to God while I was on a walk with my dog, and my dog keeps all my secrets. So it was just a joy um, to write that book, and I'm really excited about that releasing next year because it's my first book that is intended for both men and women to strengthen them in their prayer lives. My three self-published books that I have released, uh, they're all uh, available on Amazon. Uh, One is called Christmas Peace for Busy Moms. One is called Newness of Life, Trusting God in Times of Transition, based on Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. And then the other book is called The Fruitful Life, A Unique Look at the Fruits of the Spirit. So those three books are short reads. 
Uh, and people like them because they're kind of hybrid Bible studies slash devotionals. Uh, people like that if they just don't have a lot of time, but they still want to kind of dig in deeper and have someone lead them through God's word. So I've gotten good responses on those as well. And if people are wanting to get hold of the books or even to connect with you and to read your more regular writings, where should they go? Everything that I do is linked on the front page of sarahgeringer.com. And I would love to have you visit, check out all my links. And I also, it's my honor to pray for people. So I receive prayer requests every single week. And I would love to do that for you if, if you want me to do that. And I will put a link in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. If you missed that URL, that's in there. You can go directly through there. Sarah, it has been a delight to talk to you. I know that there's so much more that we could continue to discuss. I really appreciate your openness and I want to thank you for being part of Bleeding Daylight today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Rodney. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.